0: This is Theology on the Go, a brief interview about an eternal truth. I want to ask a simple question, James. Why study theology? Why do we give ourselves, our whole mind, to the study of theology? Hello and welcome to Theology on the Go. I am joined, and this is a big announcement, I am joined by my friend and colleague Dr. James Dolzel he will be a co-host now on Theology on the Go. James, great to have you in my office. We spend a lot of time together and now we're just putting two microphones in front of us. So Yeah, that's right. We sit here and have these conversations all the time, so why not record a few of them? Exactly. Exactly. So that's what I am looking forward to in this new year, recording some of these conversations that we have already that I have personally benefited greatly from. We wanted to start out with something really basic for 2018, for this new iteration of theology on the go. And that is this. I want to ask a simple question, James. Why study theology? Why do we give ourselves, our whole mind, to the study of theology? What are the benefits? What are the biblical reasons? Maybe a little bit of how we go about that Because, you know, people will come and even, we're in an academic setting, and they'll often say, you know, I don't think I need to study in an academic setting. And that's true, of course. But nonetheless, I think we both agree everyone should study theology. And so, talk about that a little bit. Why study theology?
1: Because the Bible tells us to. Maybe that's where I'll begin. At least for Bible-believing Christians, that should be enough. There are reasons more than that. But what I'm thinking of is that statement, in Psalm 46:10 where the psalmist says cease striving or be still and know that I am God there is this encouragement and exhortation in scripture to settle ourselves down and to contemplate what it is for God to be God and in the context of Psalm 46 he begins by saying, God is our refuge and our strength. And I, I think I would want to say to someone who asks, why should I study theology? Because you need to know where your refuge and strength lie. You need to know what your refuge and safety are. He, it goes on, it says, a very present help in trouble. But if we don't stop, as the psalmist says, and contemplate God and his ways, all theology studies God and man in relation to God, And that's what we study when we study theology proper, God himself, or we study the doctrine of man or of sin and that breach of our relation with God, or of redemption and reconciliation through his son, ecclesiology, how he has drawn us together in one body in his son, assembled before him, or even eschatology, the enjoyment of God and beatific vision. All things are from him, through him, and to him. If we're going, Romans 11.36 says, if we're going to understand ourselves Our place in the world, what we are supposed to be about just as humans, it will require that we stop, that we be still, that we settle ourselves down and devote our minds to knowing. Be still and know that I am God. I know that we often talk about being practical. And I believe that theology is a mixed discipline. It is partly theoretical, partly practical. I, I follow Francis Turretin and Aquinas and others in that connection, that there are theoretical and practical sides to theology. But the practical side of trusting him and looking to him and longing for him can only follow if that contemplative side of being still and knowing what it is for God to be God and knowing what it is that he has done in and through Jesus Christ is actually something that we are concerning ourselves to do. I didn't know that that's the passage you were going to choose, but I think it's
0: striking that you did choose that passage because, of course, Psalm 46 takes place in the context of trouble. It is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in times of trouble. And I think that's striking because normally, if we were going to do the kind of being still and, and knowing that you described, we think about doing that when when everything's great, when we've taken care of all the other business of life, then perhaps we'll take a few minutes and and know God. But But actually, of course, that psalm takes place in the midst of trouble, that that you know, perhaps as much as any time is when we need to do it. So, I'm saying to the people out there who are busy, who are overwhelmed, who are struggling with family, relational difficulties, financial difficulties, concerns about the future, whatever it might be, you know, yeah, that's the time. That's perhaps the best time for you to be still
1: and know God. That's a great point. And we tend to think of theology as something that is sort of a an elective leisure activity for people with lots of money and time on their hands. And yet, theology is for every child of God in whatever situation. In Psalm 46, the psalmist talks about two different sort of chaotic scenarios. The first one is the chaotic scenario of the changing world and the natural order. He says, Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth should change, and though the mountains slip into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains quake at its swelling pride. He's describing earthquakes and tsunamis and natural disasters. He's describing almost a decreation, where the water is actually overwhelming the dry land. He's talking about the groaning of the earth as it is under the condition of the curse, And it's in this context that he tells us that God is our refuge, our strength, and our very present help. He then contrasts that to our future life in glory. There's a river whose streams make glad the city of God, a holy dwelling place of the Most High. And he contrasts that dwelling with God as a place of serenity and peace and of wonder at God. Then he speaks of a yet another chaotic context, not just the natural disasters and the, you know, Acts of God, as your insurance man calls them. But he also talks about the acts of men, and particularly wicked men. And these are the things that actually distract us and take our minds off of the heavenly city, off of the prize, off of God Himself. It's the chaos of living in a world that is groaning under the curse. And it's also the chaos of living in a world that suffers under the actions of wicked people. And so he says. The nations made an uproar, similar to the mountains going into the sea. The nations themselves make an uproar. The kingdoms tottered. God raised his voice and the earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. And so he describes yet another sort of troubling scenario for us, which is living in a world full of wicked people carrying out wicked schemes against each other. And that might be at a major, you know, international level, as he describes here. That may be, that may be with your next door neighbor. That may be with your coworker. That may be inside your own home where there's this conflict with people and this striving among people. And it's this striving, whether it's the, against the natural order or against the sinful order, there's this striving that always presents the perfect occasion not to be studying theology. And so in that context, he says, come, behold the works of the Lord, who has wrought desolations in the earth, who makes wars to cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariots with fire. Contemplate the God who is the one who will bring an end to all these things. Contemplate the one who holds the hearts of kings in the palm of his hands and turns it whichever way he wills as if it's a drop of water contemplate him. But if you don't understand him, if you don't understand God and what he has done and is doing and will do with regard to the consummation of all things, if you don't have theological knowledge rooted and built in the scriptures, you will not have anywhere to stand. You will be shifty. You will be shaky when either the natural world or the world of humans conspires against you. And it's actually right after that, that he says, "Cease striving. Actually, I think he just says, stop, It's a command, it's almost a a shout, stop and know that I am God. And it's interesting, he doesn't say, know this or that about me. It's actually quite comprehensive what he says. Stop and know that I am God. Then he goes on, you know, that I will be exalted among the nations, exalted in the earth. So understand how all things are from me, through me, and to me ultimately. But when he says, be still and know that I am God, what he's calling us to is to a contemplation of divinity. In fact is interesting you and i teach in a school of divinity which is an older name for a theology school or a seminary but this is what scripture calls us to so you asked the question why study theology because scripture exhorts us to do that
0: yeah i had another angle of approach as well that i wonder i'd be curious to hear your thoughts on isn't it also the case that first of all we all have a kind of operating theology in other words we all do operate with with a set of assumptions about the nature of reality, the nature of our own lives, and and ultimately, of course, the nature of God. And even if you deny that there's a God, there is a sense in which that is an operating theology. It's wrong. It's rebellious, but it is nonetheless an operating system. And so there is this inevitability in a sense of being a theologian. The question is, are you giving yourself to it? Are you submitting yourself to what the Lord has said? Do you see what I'm saying? In yes. one sense, it's not, a, it's not
1: a choice whether or not to do theology. C.S. Lewis once said, an answer to the question, why should you study philosophy? And his answer was something like this. I'm sure Lewis fans will know this statement better than I'm recalling it now. But something to the effect of we must study philosophy for no other reason than that bad philosophies exist and need to be answered. And when it comes to theology, everyone's a theologian. All people know that God is. They know his invisible attributes his eternal power and his divine nature which are clearly seen through the things that are made romans 120 says the question for all of us is not whether we will do theology but whether we will do theology in a faithful mode in which we follow god's revelation of himself in nature and in scripture or whether we will do theology in what i sometimes call in the negative mode that is to say theology in the truth suppressing mode in which we try to unsay what, in fact, God has said about himself, both in the things that are made and in Scripture. So, everyone is doing theology either as an active suppressor or as one who is pursuing it in humility, following God where he has revealed himself.
0: Right, and of course, if if we start with that premise, then what naturally comes out of that is we have to be studying the Scriptures. We have to be submitting our own thinking to what God has revealed in his word that's how we go
1: about understanding who god is in that faithful way that you described if we aren't pursuing the right and true knowledge of god and his ways in creation the possibilities that we end up entertaining sub wrong or just patently idolatrous ideas is all the more dangerous for us the possibility That we could, in fact, have a bad theology is all the more dangerous. Paul actually calls this bad theology a form of slavery, and he makes this contrast in Galatians 4. In verse 8, he speaks of the time when the Galatians did not know God, but were slaves to those which by nature are no gods. And this is the thing, if you call God that which isn't God, or if you think that God is something he has not revealed himself to be, but in fact is thought of more like one of his creatures, then you are in a sense, perhaps not thinking it this way, but you are placing yourself in bondage and in slavery to that which does not deserve your worship and your devotion and your wonder. He says in verse 9 of that chapter, But now you have come to be known by God. How is it that you turn back again to the weak and worthless elemental things to which you desire to be enslaved all over again? And I would say one argument I would make for doing theology is theology is liberation. Doing theology, following God as he's made himself known in his handiwork and in scripture and contemplating those things in truth taught by the spirit, which is the gift that every Christian possesses, If we are doing theology, we are militating and fighting against slavery, both for ourselves and those that we bless with what we learn. That's an important point because
0: oftentimes people think about Christian teaching as in some way constraining them, either constraining their minds, this will make me a narrower thinker, or constraining their behavior in obvious ways, just making them sort of less human, sort of shriveled up version of of what I possibly could be. But of course the Bible turns that completely on its head and essentially says in order to be fully human, you need to have a right understanding of God and of yourself and the world in which he's placed you. So this is a, the path to freedom, not the path to slavery. And in fact,
1: all other paths ultimately are kind of enslavement. Right. It does actually turn that right around. And I think this is something that we have to get in our fiber deep as Christians is to, to know God and to know his ways and to know him as the one from whom and through whom and to whom are all things is not itself a kind of bondage or a suppressant, but it's that which liberates us to actually know who we are and what we are really for. And I think if we take that, and I'll maybe springboard from that to one final consideration with regard to why study theology, it's because the end of theology is the enjoyment of God. I want to take one other text in that connection, and this is Psalm 16, Verse 2, where David says of the Lord, I have no good besides you. The reason to study theology is because the knowledge of God and the enjoyment of God that comes simply through knowing him in wonder, in standing before him and finding our delight in him, this is really our highest good. Or as Puritans and the church fathers would have said, this is our summum bonum. This is that thing for which we were created and which we find our highest realization and an enjoyment as humans. So that the reason to study theology is not just to avoid bad theology, and it's not just because the Bible says you should. It's because, in fact, by commending you and exhorting you to study theology and to be still and know that God is God, God is actually directing us toward himself as our good. It's actually a great mercy that God exhorts us to be still and know that he is God, because in doing that, we are being still and we are knowing our only good. Yeah, what is the chief end of man
0: to glorify God and enjoy him forever? So that is what all theology is pointing us towards. Very helpful. A good way to start this podcast year. James, always a pleasure to uh, be with you yeah, and I look to forward here. to next time. Thank you for listening to Theology on the Go. I mentioned at the beginning that we want to give you an opportunity to win a copy of what we think is an excellent book that tackles this issue. It's called What is Reformed Theology by the late R.C. Sproul, and he actually begins this book with a discussion of why study theology. So, if you'd like to get a copy of that book, go to placefortruth.org and click on the Theology on the Go link, and there'll be a place for you to enter to win that book as always we appreciate the fact that you're listening we we ask you to recommend this podcast to others if you found it helpful and, and the alliance of course it can only function because of the gifts of generous listeners like yourself so if you can make a gift you can go to dot or placefortruth.org for and thank you once again for listening to theology on the go a brief interview about an eternal truth